0: I preached this message. For those of you that were here last Sunday morning, we didn't preach a message. We had a couple of different messages in tongues, and we had interpretations. Oh, the offering. I'll get it in a minute. Don't let me forget, though. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you. We had a couple of messages in tongues. We had a couple of interpretations. Um, you know, one was a sense of immediacy. Come forward. People came forward. Moved in the spirit. Kim, just like this morning. Now is the time because God has ordained a time, just like Jesus coming. Been thousands and thousands of years since Adam and Eve, since Moses, since uh, Israel became a people. But that was the right time. So, so then Finley gives us amazing testimony about getting sucker punched by the devil. And anyway, I really feel like maybe God didn't have this message delivered last week because somebody wasn't here last week or some bodies that needed to hear it this week. But I did preach it Sunday night. And um, I believe that everything that I share is inspired by God. I don't want to be a a guy who's not inspired by God. Um, Sometimes it feels more like it to me than other times. Last week on Sunday night, it felt, I I, I just can't describe to you how I felt like I was in the center of God's cross here as I was speaking. So, we've been talking for, you know, not counting today or last week, since we didn't really talk last week in the morning, seven weeks prior to that, about this whole conversation about being a disciple, about denying ourselves and picking up our cross, and, you know, heaven forbid on Mother's Day, hating your mother and father as it's compared to your love and devotion for Jesus. I mean, he clearly commands us to love our parents and be devoted to our parents, but the highest level of devotion belongs to him. So for seven weeks, we've been having this conversation. I'm gonna go back to a couple of those scriptures, but today we're gonna actually get to the point of why and start to talk about what's the purpose for all this dying to myself. And I I think there's gonna be many weeks of specifically things that we would deny ourselves so that we might bring about the kingdom and the Lord's wishes. On Easter, we talked about no resurrection without first a death. That that God will not <coughs> resurrect in places where we haven't died. So if we don't die in areas of our lives, there's there's no resurrection that's going to come in that area of our lives. Also, that while you can't separate the conversion, the you know, going from dead to alive in the spirit from God's call on the church to make disciples. The call on the church is to make disciples. It's almost like the conversion is what has to happen so that his purpose can be met. But so often our focus is on the conversion and not what happens afterwards. Do you understand? Like, get them saved, get people saved. they got to be saved. They, they can't be a disciple unless they're saved. It requires the Holy Spirit to walk out discipleship. So clearly, people have to be saved before they can become disciples. But the call on the church is to be and to make disciples. Let me read you some scriptures. Some of them I've used in the past. Some of them are, are new to this discussion, but they're consistent. Luke 9, 23 through 26 is where Jesus actually it's one of the scriptures where he defines what it means to be a disciple. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, me being Jesus in this case, it's him speaking, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So Jesus is talking about a death that has to happen. We can have this life and its it's lusts and its pleasures and, and all the things that would be, what we want, but then we can't have life eternal. If we want to have life, we have to lose this life, and then we can have that life. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? John 12, 24, and 25, this is a new one for, for this conversation. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So it's very interesting, this, this um, picture that Jesus draws about a seed dying. Right? I could have a seed. You know, it could be an acorn, or it could be a, a wheat seed, or, or who cares what, an apple seed. And I can put it in my pocket when I'm five years old, and I can carry that thing my whole life. And it will never be anything but a seed. But when that seed is placed in the soil, and and I had almost a picture of the soil being like Jesus, like when, when we would go into Jesus. When that seed goes into the soil, then God does something miraculous that can't happen in my pocket or happen in a drawer, and the seed dies. It's not a seed anymore. And it becomes whatever its destiny actually was. But unless it dies, let's say it's an apple seed. It will never become a tree that will ever produce any kind of fruit. In this world, it has to die first, and then it has to stop being a seed. And that's what he's telling us. Unless that we die, we can't produce any fruit because we'll be living for things that don't produce eternal fruit because we'll be living for self, not for Christ. Luke 14.33, this is the end of a, of a longer discourse where Jesus talks about counting the cost of discipleship. And, and he goes through this entire conversation and then he finishes with, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. The hardest, almost harsh to our flesh, certainly, words in the New Testament are all in red letters. They're all spoken by Jesus. So then... After seven weeks of this kind of conversation, the question is, where are we at with all that? Has it changed our thinking? Has it changed our perspective? And even Jesus, to think about when he gives these kind of hard words, is he giving them as a suggestion? Is he giving them as a command? Or is he giving them as a declaration? Now, when when you hear me preach, you have to understand, you hear through my paradigm right i'm not pure in that i i don't i have life experiences i have heart issues i have all these different things that if i'm not really careful and really prayed up that you're going to get from my perspective not totally and perfectly from jesus's perspective and and i'm more of a command kind of guy i i I, am black and white and i see things that way and and jesus said you know if this then that and i said okay jesus i gave you my life Tell me what to do, and he tells me what to do, and I don't always do it. But in my heart, I feel committed to do it. So it's kind of a command to me. I don't believe at all it's a suggestion. I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I understand you're busy people, and I'm so happy that you just, you know, you connected me to your life. And, you know, if you could find a minute to act a little bit like a discipleship, that would just bless me so much. It's not a suggestion for sure, right? When you come to Christ, you don't add Jesus to your life. Your life becomes Jesus by design in practice it's not always that way certainly not at the beginning but it ought to be moving in that direction so i don't think it's a suggestion i think it may be a command but where my heart is moving towards is it's a declaration and here's what i mean by a declaration jesus is explaining that that disciples are the ones that bring about kingdom on earth disciples are the one that that go about doing his bidding on this fallen evil planet And and the point I think he may be trying to make to us is this, that unless you're so committed to the point that you deny yourself, that you pick up your cross daily, that your your devotion to your most cherished relationships looks like hate compared to your devotion to me, you just can't be my disciples. It cannot happen unless you make that mental commitment, that that changing of mind, the, the difference between what one daughter has done, it appears, and she's able to do it because she's, set her mind and the other daughter hasn't yet set her mind that way and she's in this tug of war between what is my life i think what he's saying is he's declaring to us that unless we think in such a way that our life belongs to him we really can't be disciples that's where i'm at right now let me just read you a couple more scriptures along these lines first corinthians six nineteen and 20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Do we live our lives in such a way that we perceive that we don't have a life? That we we recognize that, that there was a for sale sign on us, we put it on there. Jesus paid for us with his very shed blood, and now we're his possession. He's put his spirit inside of us. He's taken over, and now our life belongs to him. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. Stop for a second and and, and just imagine your situation. Is that really how you think? My answer is sometimes, sometimes not, but I praise God in the sometimes not, I feel a conviction that that's a sometimes it needs to change. But that's the perspective we need to have in our minds. I'll give you one more. This is from James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow. I need a windshield wiper on my iPad. I keep, (laughs) forgive me. (laughs) Somebody put the fish under the counter. (laughs) Do we live our lives? See, a a person who believes that his life is his own says, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to the city and I'm going to engage in some business and make lots of money. That's how a person who owns himself thinks. But to a person who's committed their life to Christ, the question starts with, if the Lord wills, Lord, what is your will for the next year of my life? Are you leading me towards going to this city to do business and to make money? Or are you leading me someplace else? And for those of us that have confessed Jesus and given our lives to Christ, taken in exchange his life, it's arrogance if we don't start to think that way. So, not all of you have been here for all the different seven weeks of this, but it's been a fairly very consistent conversation. Where are we at now? Have we made a decision? Have we recommitted to a decision? Are we truly dead to ourselves, at least in our commitment? Or are we still kind of like daughter number two from over there with one foot in each, you know, "Mm, this part of my life I like, Jesus. But I'm telling you, you can't have that part. You have to be denying yourself because there's no good fruit that can come out of that part in that way. But I'm with you over here. It's like, where are we at in that conversation? We need to make a decision. And then we need to walk in that way of thinking. This first verse is the lens that I want you to see the second verse through that I'm about to read to you. John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. The lens, as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sent me. How did the Father send Jesus? That's how I'm to go. What was the command of the Father on Jesus? That's the command on me. How did Jesus operate in his ministry? That's how I'm to operate in his ministry. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Is our perspective to be served or to serve? Man, I'm telling you, we're going to talk about specifics in Scripture over the next few weeks that are going to challenge us big time to that kind of a question. Did I come to be served or did I, did I come to serve? Jesus said, I, the Son of Man, God, incarnate in the flesh, didn't come that you would serve me, but that I would serve you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. It's Again, it's about the position of our minds. How do we see our lives? Do we see ourselves as it's nice to be served? I like to be served. I'm going to serve sometimes, but serve me. Because our flesh enjoys being served. Or is our mindset, I'm dead to myself. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. It's an important question that we have to ask ourselves. Jesus said he gave his life as a ransom for many. I I think about um, Esther. She has a life. She has a house, probably pretty comfortable. You kind of set in your ways. So all of a sudden, people are going to move into Esther's house that don't probably speak English, maybe. that, And I know a little bit about people living in your house whose customs are different. It's not all that easy sometimes. She is giving her life a ransom on behalf of these people, really on behalf of Jesus, so that his will can come about and it requires a dying to self it requires that that she's not going to be able to live her life the way she's used to live in her life because she's dead to that god has opened a door of opportunity for her to serve him not to be served and this is what's going to happen great kingdom fruit is going to come from it do we give our lives as a ransom for many or any okay this is the scripture i told you was was very woe to me a little context before I read it to you. This is the Apostle Paul, before he's the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul when he's Saul of Tarsus. And he's going about persecuting the Christian church in his mind righteously. right? He's been, he's been ordained by the Sanhedrin, and he's going about literally overseeing the death of Christians, the imprisonment of Christians, and he's trying to squash this bug called Christianity. He's on his way to Damascus to do that work, and Jesus manifests himself as this great bright light. This is where Paul's eyes, well, they get shut, but they get opened to the truth. Acts twenty six fourteen, and when we had all fallen to the ground, that's when Jesus showed up, pow, they all fell down, this bright light. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Goads, if you can imagine, you know, back in the day, and parts of the world probably still very much true today, somebody has got to plow a field so that they can plant and harvest and eat. And they they use oxen as the, you know, that's their tractor. And they've got to plow. And the ox got the, (laughs) the ox got his own will. That's probably not really great English. The ox has a will. And the will of the ox is not to drag this plow through the dirty ground all day long so this guy can have a harvest. But the the master of the ox has a will as well and that the ground will be plowed. So in order to, to motivate the ox away from its own will and into his will, he's got this thing called a goad. You've heard the thing, you know, goading somebody? It's literally like a long rod with a very pointy end and a hook on it. So as the ox thinks, you know what, I can see the barn over there. He starts to want to turn this way when he's supposed to go straight. He gives him a shot with that ox goat. Maybe a cattle prod would be a more modern kind of a thing. And he pokes that ox, and he's got that thing behind him, and he's poking that ox to, to bring the ox into alignment with his will and out of its own will so that the work that's required gets done. I would propose to you that... The Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus before you know, his transformation had a turmoil inside of him that he was persecuting the church but something didn't feel right to him because Jesus said it's, it's uncomfortable for you to be constantly kicking against the goad. I think the goad was Holy Spirit, was trying to show him the truth because he was a very, very, very devout religious man. He just didn't recognize Messiah. He thought he was false messiahs and he was going to fix this thing. So the apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus at this time is kicking against God himself and, and he's uncomfortable. And see, that's what I think is happening to Ashley is that she's kicking against the goads. She hasn't come to a place in her mind where she's committed to her new life and it's very, very uncomfortable for her. I think that's what's happens to us when we're, when we're having an attitude, not, not a conscious attitude, consciously, we would do like we sing in the song Jesus I belong to you except when we don't want to and when we don't want to it's uncomfortable so we're we're committed to Jesus but we're not committed to Jesus if he's wanting us to do what we don't want to do because of our flesh and that's us kicking against the goads and that's why it's very uncomfortable that's why you stand or you come to a thing and a guy like me stands up in front of you and says deny yourself and you're like you're always trying to make me feel bad. Not, not you, but you know somebody else at a different church. You're always trying to make me feel bad. You're, you're trying to make Jesus seem like somebody's not. It's, it's, it's the goads. It's like, mm, I want to keep my life, but I want to serve you, Jesus. I want to keep my life. Because we haven't come to the place where we've decided, literally decided to die to ourselves. We prayed the prayer. Probably we're saved. I'm not doubting any of that. But it's an uncomfortable place to be when you, when you sort of got one foot in and one foot out. In your commitment to Christ. Because he's goading us through our consciences, through conviction, into that place that he wants us to be. (laughs) My note says we can be goaded because he's going to work with us, right? I mean, a goad's not the the greatest way I, I thank you, want to be worked with. But he'll help us. That's what discipline is. He disciplines those who loves He disciplines those that he loves. Maybe you could think of the goat as God's discipline a little bit as we're trying to have our own will outside of his will. He gives us discipline to help us to find our way into walking out the commitment that we made to him. We can be goaded or we can agree with God and live our calling. It's not total black and white. It's not like we're not trying or we're not in any way pleasing God. We are pleasing God in many ways, but he asked for all of us like all of us, but all of me, 100% of me for him. This is the life of service. That's the life of reward, probably service too, but that's the life where we get rewarded with being in the full-on presence of God's glory with a brand new tent that can't be burned up or die because of his glory. We'll be overwhelmed by its goodness. Maybe some perspective good about why Jesus is so strong why he's so strong in his words. If you read them, the discipleship words of Jesus are not soft words, they're strong words. Maybe this gives us some perspective. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then in 1 John 3, verse 8, he says, The Son of God appeared for this, work, this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Who's going to do that now that Jesus is in heaven? Who's going to seek and save that which is lost? His body is going to. Who's going to destroy the works of the devil? His body is going to. Now, I understand it It comes through the anointing, the presence of Holy Spirit in his body, but the most effective way for him to seek and to save that which is lost and to destroy the works of the devil is when his body acts like him, right? If he has to goad us, he'll goad us. If he has to discipline us, he'll discipline us. But the most effective way, remember, as the Father sent me, so I send you. What did you get sent to do, Jesus? What's my assignment? Seek and save that which is lost and destroy the works of the devil. Remember, we're talking in terms of discipleship. I'm going somewhere with this, and and I mean, I know you're good listeners, but I'm going to kind of repeat so you can track with me because I think we're going to get to a really awesome understanding in just a minute. Okay. Here's where we make the switch from all those weeks of of those discipleship scriptures to to talk about the, the what, the why, and the how. And a great place to start with that conversation is to look at Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. This is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He's speaking to the church, to us. And then he's going to use Jesus as an example. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's a denial of self. Consider others more important than yourselves. I got this life, and, I, and I'm comfortable in it, and I worship you, and I praise you. Right. I got this family in China whose children are going to die. I want you to consider them more important than your life. Bring them into your home. Yes, Lord. That's a practical example. Consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, read slave, and being made in the likeness of men, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So look at Jesus. He emptied or denied himself. He became a slave, right? Because he didn't have any will of his own, only the will of the Father. I do only that which the Father would have me do. And he humbled himself. Really, both of those are examples of humbling himself. Jesus sits on an exalted throne in heaven. Jesus sat on an exalted throne in heaven. Jesus is perfect in every way. Jesus was worshiped by anything that saw Jesus only could respond by worshiping him. He humbled himself to flesh, just like you and me, human flesh. I think with the possibility of not living perfectly, right? He had the anointing of the Holy Spirit, He lived a perfect life. Why? So that he could offer himself as the perfect and spotless lamb of God, having experienced every trial and temptation that every man ever experienced and ever stumbled before so that we would have the opportunity to be restored in relationship with the Father. That's the level of humility. He didn't consider himself, even though he was God, as more important than any of us. He humbled himself before the Father so that the Father's will could happen with us. That's what he's telling us. Don't consider yourself more important than someone else. Always consider yourself less important. Humble yourself. So God's will can be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 through 21 starts to paint a picture of seek and save that which is lost, destroy the works of the devil. What is the mission look like? I love this first part. For the love of Christ controls us. Other translations say compels or constrains. For the love of Christ controls, compels, or constrains us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus said, speaking of himself, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Heaven's ambassador to this earth on behalf of God, speaking the words of God, this word of reconciliation, which is our ministry, reconciliation, This reconciliation is both, (laughs) get my words right, I don't want to point one and say the other, vertical reconciliation and it's horizontal reconciliation. Vertical reconciliation is between man, person, and God himself. When when a person becomes saved, God gives him his spirit, they are born again, they are reconciled vertically to God. That's, That's what happens. Their dead spirit comes alive, they're now Vertically reconciled to God. That's the gist of what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. But also, our ministry of reconciliation is horizontal in that we would have men be reconciled to men or or women. People reconciled to people. Husbands in their relationships with their wives reconciled to the perfection that God has called it to be. Neighbors reconciled to one another. Fathers and children, mothers and children, children and parents, the reconciliation that's part, that is our ministry is not just vertical but horizontal. How do I know this? What's the first and greatest command that we find in the New Testament? No, the first one. Yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. When you're doing that, in a, that's a reconciled relationship. What's the second Love your neighbor as yourself. If, if the issue of reconciliation was only vertical, vertical, the second command wouldn't be the second most important command. It would be, see command number one. One equals love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Rule number two is like it. See rule number one, but it's not. And, and I could argue from scripture very effectively that really what God says is the most important command is the second one. Because Jesus says, love God with everything you have, The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. A new command I give you. What's the new command, Jesus? Love one another. If you love me, love God with everything you have. If you love me, you'll love one another. What he's saying is the way that you express love to him is through obedience. And the most important thing he wants you to do is love one another. So when you love one another, you are fulfilling the first one by doing the second one. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when we think about our ministry of reconciliation, It's in terms not just of introducing and reconciling a person to God so he can then be their father, but it's now to their whole relational life with other people. What's common to both of those commands, the first command and the second command? What's the common word? Love. Love. How is love expressed between us and God or between each other? You don't have to answer that question. It's only in relationship. I can love somebody that I don't have relationship with, maybe I'm in Ukraine, I still love Teresa, right? Let's say there's no telephone, no Skype, no nothing. She's in America. I'm in Ukraine for a month. I can love her, but love can only be expressed in relationship. You understand? So I have to have her there to serve her in love. I have to have her there to consider her more important than myself. I have to have her there to hug her and express love to her. Love is only expressed in relationship. And God wants this whole world to be reconciled to him and to one another. That's why there's so many scriptures that teach us about how to be a husband and how to be a wife and how to be a son and how to be a daughter and how to interact with the world, right? Okay. Let's move on then. John 10.10. Our ministry is reconciliation. We've been given the word of reconciliation. He's told us, be my disciples. And in, in discipleship means to deny yourself. Why? For the purpose of your ministry, seeking to save that which is lost, to, de- to destroy the works of the devil. By way of this ministry of reconciliation, John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has given us a mission. It's the very same mission that he has. Now, contextually, if you look at that scripture, John 10.10 10, He's talking about, like, false Jesuses. But everything that's false finds its essence in Satan. So when I see the thief, I know that he's speaking directly or indirectly towards Satan, his, his, the enemy, and their work that they're trying to do in this earth, right? The enemy came to kill and destroy, steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life looks like perfect relationships if you're a billionaire i mean you got you got more money than you could ever even imagine how you could ever spend it but you had horrible relationships with human beings would your life be happy or sad i think it has to be sad because you weren't created to live that way if you're a person who doesn't figure out how any of your bills are going to get paid till the second before you pay them but because of the Lord and your surrender to him and others that are around you and their surrender to him, all your relationships are awesome. Like, I'm not bragging on myself, but when when the scripture says to, for me to love my enemies, I can't figure out who they are. I don't know who my enemies are. I mean, maybe I have one out there. I know Satan is my enemy. I'm going to pray for him. But, but the point is, I live with you guys and I live with her. I don't have a perception of enemies. I think it's because we're generally surrendered to Jesus in our thinking, and in our behaving, which causes us to have excellent relationships. Abundant life, in its very essence, is an absolute, unhindered relationship with God. Just perfect and beautiful, pray without ceasing, aware of his will, understanding and and, and reveling and just finding our, our joy in him and his love, relationship and then godly relationships with everybody that we interact with that's abundant life some of you remember if you didn't hear it from me i'm sure you heard it from another preacher this conversation about this tug of war remember i had the picture up up on the screen and and basically there's this battle first for our souls right you could argue that the enemy owns our soul because we're going to spend eternity with him until we come and give our lives to jesus and are saved and born again. And then once that happens, the the battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, is basically for the fruit of our souls. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And they're both trying to influence what comes out of us, our souls, our emotions, what we say, how we interact with one another. And God accesses the believer by way of his Holy Spirit connected to our spirit to bring about fruitfulness from our souls the enemy does the same only his access point is our flesh right there's a great big door that we can open up it's called flesh and he through the the demons trying to influence us remember the armor of god flaming arrows thoughts in our minds how does that whole thing work that's how it works and then we have to decide who we're going to serve Are we going to serve God through his spirit by way of our spirit and the fruit of our souls is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? Or in those moments, are we going to deny God, affirm our flesh, and bring about callousness and all the yucky stuff that comes before the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5? That's the tug of war that's going on day in and day out, every day, every situation. Who are we going to agree with? What God is saying is I want people reconciled to me to this abundant, beautiful relationship that's available to them. I want you reconciled to me this way and I want all mankind reconciled to one another in the fruit of the spirit, the way that we live with each other. The opposite, now now this is Pat speaking. This is my personal revelation from the scriptures. You might disagree with me, but I don't believe that the opposite of love is hate. I believe the opposite of love is selfishness. And I say that because Jesus, in these commands to love him and talking about love, he says that the greatest expression of love is that somebody would die for somebody else. Well, that's absolute selflessness. That's the ultimate of deny yourself. That's what Jesus did. He died on our behalf. He totally exhibited selflessness in that moment. So I think that as as we're seeing abundant life and relationships and, and the ministry of reconciliation, that the root of what's, Wrong is selfishness, and the root of what's right is humility, which would be selflessness, that we would give ourselves unto somebody else. You could maybe imagine Jesus himself. (laughs) They're read in my notes. This isn't scripture. This is just Pat making up a little paragraph that you could imagine Jesus saying. This is Jesus now. As the Father sent me, I send you. For what purpose? To seek and to save that which is lost, and to destroy the works of the devil. Reconciling people to God and to one another. How? Through the ministry of reconciliation. How again? By denying yourselves, picking up your cross daily, and following me. Unless that you deny yourself, unless that you pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus, reconciliation won't happen. Let me, let me start down the path of, of the, the what's, like the specific kind of examples in the Bible that we would die to ourselves. Imagine your flesh trying to respond to these commands of Scripture. This is Jesus speaking again, Luke 6, 27 through 36. This may be the very harshest expression in the New Testament of what it means to deny yourself. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. You could stop right there and say, they're my enemies. They don't love me. Deny yourself. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful, merciful, merciful. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Why love your enemies and do good to those who hate you? Reconciliation. We've been trying to teach our daughters. You know, we got a a weird junior high school, high school kind of a three girl teenage environment at our house that we never ever had before. (laughs) She never even had sisters to live this out with, just brothers. And it's a different dynamic. And the conversation that I have with them individually and collectively is, why did you do that? Because she did this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is the lowest level of relational existence. It's, it's, it's a way of having order. I'm not going to poke you in the eye because you'll poke me back. But it's, it's almost animal living. It's legal in God's economy to live an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's, it's perfectly legal. But you have to understand when you live that way with horizontally with other people, you put yourself in that same relational characteristic dynamic with God himself. So if I choose judgment because you poked me in the eye and I poke you back, then I sit in judgment for my stuff. But if I sit in mercy, which is what I'm trying to teach the girls, is that that I can get mercy from God and... If I don't return evil for evil and I don't return insult for insult, what happens? Reconciliation. If I return your insult with my insult, your natural response is to insult me back. And we have a relationship that ultimately boils down to which one of us can hit harder and the one that's not able to fight as well as the one that's better able to fight is going to acquiesce and we're going to find our place based upon brute strength. But that's not the order of the kingdom. And that's not how reconciliation happens, and it's not how love operates. Flesh has no interest in that kind of a life. That's why flesh has to be crucified and die. That's why we have to deny ourselves, consider others more important than ourselves, because reconciliation can't happen in that kind of dynamic. If we don't deny ourselves, we don't bring about reconciliation. Probably not vertically or horizontally. Why do we do these things that Jesus tells us to do? Because our enemies will cease to be our enemies. And not only will they cease to be our enemies, they'll cease to be his enemies. They won't just be reconciled to us, then God can use us as a mechanism to reconcile them. I, I had a thing with <laughs> my, my whole life is racquetballing daughters now. <laughs> I had a thing with one of the daughters. And she wasn't being, you know, she wasn't honoring me as father. Let me just tell you not respectful, not interested in in my authority, none of that. And I was by myself, and I was thinking about it, and I'm having thoughts of how I'm going to respond to this thing. And it was total flesh thoughts. And the Lord was telling me, if you read in, I think it's Romans chapter 2, don't you know it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance? And I'm like, man, I don't want to be kind to that. I want to slap that. (laughs) I do. I mean, but that's flesh, and flesh has to die. Otherwise, guess what happens? I have that relationship with her because I'm bigger than her and I'm stronger than her and for a little while, I am know more stuff than she knows and I can control her behavior through strength, intimidation, whatever. But at some point, it's going to quit working. And how am I ever going to have eternal, long-lasting, not eternal, but you know, long-lasting relationship with her if I've established our relationship as I'm bigger and stronger than you. If you don't do what I say, I'm going to beat you up. I understand there's a place for discipline but the counter to the worldly way of thinking is kindness brings about repentance. So I started praying to the Lord, how can I be kind to her? In, in what ways can I present kindness so that it will bring about repentance? Because I'm really most interested in repentance. I, I want to have a good relationship with my daughter. That's the way we have to think about one another. That's why these scriptures are so tough because they take and they just grind it flesh so hard. Okay, just about done. After all of that, remember I I talked from John chapter 12. Let me read that one again about the seed. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's looking for a fruitful church. He's looking for a fruitful church because as a fruitful church, we're a city on a hill. We're attractive to the world when we're different from the world. What's the interest in becoming a Christian? I had an experience this week. I'm going to run you a little bit late. Finley warned you last week. We were early last week. I had an experience where a person, a Christian person, was jamming another person on Facebook. And... I've had pastoral, you know, relationship with that person. And I sent them a private message and I said, Man, you know, please don't bash that other person in Facebook. Because God is calling us to a higher place than you did bad to me, I'm gonna do bad to you, especially in public. See, most and, and this is a person who loves Jesus, just in a very hard situation right now. And and most all of those posts on that person's Facebook are, are wonderful things about Jesus and Jesus this, Jesus that, but you dirty, no good, rotten, blah, blah, blah. It's why the world calls Christians hypocrites. Because he said to us, if they punch you in the face on this side, let them try their other hand on this side. If they stole your shirt, give them your coat. Because that's how the kingdom takes force over evil. And oh my gosh, I mean... I just got creamed. I got this thing about, the response was about this long. and just pounded on me. And I replied back, I'm not, I'm not trying to imply any of those things. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm just saying, this is the command on our lives, and we're to help each other to walk this way. I'm thinking, oh, okay, I understand now. Thank you. Bam, another one like this. <laughs> Pow. It's like, I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Other than truth. Yeah, I mean, I've had so much opportunity to counsel into this situation. And it's like, well, you're picking sides, and I'm not picking sides. I only pick sides Jesus. Unless I'm screwing up, then I don't know what side I pick. But by, <laughs> by design, I'm choosing righteousness and truth, and I'm trying to help people because poke, 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 poke fight, 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 fight isn't going to bring about anything good, just bad stuff. Anyway, I, I, I think I'm working this whole thing out <laughs> in Facebook, of all places, But the point is, that's the call. It's a flesh denying. You don't know what a bad person that person has been to me. I don't. You don't know how bad my pain is. I definitely don't. Your pain's not going to get better when you operate like Satan. You're calling me like Satan. I'm not calling you like Satan. I'm just telling you that the Bible says this is how we fix things, and this is how we make them worse. But this doesn't feel so good to me while we're fixed. I understand that. I didn't write it. Jesus did. But it works. Look at how much world has been reconciled to the Father because of the sacrifice of the Son. Billions of people are going to spend eternity in the good place and not the bad place because of the humility of God himself. So the what, the why, and the how. The what is the specific instruction. When you're reading the Bible and you see the instruction of God, the do's and the do nots, Think in terms of reconciliation of mankind, of yourself as being the light of the world. Love your enemies is a specific instruction in the scriptures. That's that's the what. The why is reconciliation. It's to bring people back into relationship with the Father. (laughs) I mean, really, he's not even father until they they become reconciled and to bring people into reconciliation with one another. The what is whatever the specific instruction that Scripture is teaching us, and we're going to talk about those in the coming weeks. The why is reconciliation. The how, deny yourself. Because living for self doesn't bring about. It it makes me think of the Scripture about... um, in Ephesians, don't let the sun set on your anger and give the devil an opportunity, right? And then, and then uh, in your anger, do not sin, right? Like, like, it's, like it's saying anger's okay. Just be careful you don't have a sin in there. But somewhere else in scripture it says that the, the anger of man does not bring forth the righteousness of God. So then why would I want to be angry anytime, even if I was able to withhold sin because righteousness isn't going to flow out of my anger. And I'm a bought person. I'm owned by God. And, and that's the gist of today's message, is that, that we have to come to the place of making a decision. We made a decision for Jesus, but we have to make literally the full-on commitment to being dead to ourselves. And when we do that, we will become an unstoppable force. But the force, like, like the, the guy said to Jesus, when is it, is it now that you're going to bring about the kingdom? And, and he wasn't bringing about a kingdom of, with a king with a sword, you know, and an army to beat down Rome or whoever was oppressing Israel at that particular time. At that time it was Rome. He was bringing about a sword, the truth, that would beat down sin that oppresses the world so that people could be reconciled back to his father and to one another. It doesn't happen in the flesh. And that's the deny yourself. That's the pick up your cross daily and follow him is the flesh has to be denied because the flesh will not agree with reconciliation. It's only about bad stuff. It's fallen. Its nature is horrible. The spirit, through the spirit, directed by the Father is what brings life. Amen? Okay. So in your quiet time with the Lord... Oh, gosh, I keep talking. I'm so sorry. You're never going to go home. It's Mother's Day. You know what? The other people are. You'd just be waiting in line at the restaurant anyway. <laughs> I tell you about how, you know, like I've been saved ten times. I haven't been saved ten times. I've probably only been saved one time. But what happens is as I read the scriptures, I, come into a, I become enlightened to the call in my life, the, the depth of the call in my life. And what I say to Jesus is, Jesus, I, 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 I recognize this now. I wasn't living like this before, but I understand what you're saying, and I'm just confessing with my mouth. I mean, I literally do this. I'm confessing with my mouth that this new thing that you revealed to me, I'm going to live like this. That's why I've been saved ten times, because I get these revelations of the depth of what he's calling me to do, to be, to die to. And then I just tell him, I get it. I understand, and I'm telling you I'm going to live this way. Now, I understand the, the beauty of the covenant is that I can't do any of it except that he gave me his spirit that empowers and enables me to actually keep my end of the deal. But he does, so I can. And that's the place we got to get to. So when you get on your knees or in your chair or, or however you have your quiet time in your prayer closet with the Lord, count the cost, right? That's the the Luke 14 scripture that ends with, you can't be my disciple unless you give up everything. Count the cost. There's really no cost because the alternative is no good. Make the decision and then tell him you made the decision. And when you speak that decision out, it, it, light, it, it, it firms it up inside of you. When you confess it, it makes it real. When you tap dance around it, might be a little bit real, but when you confess it, it becomes real to you. And, and that's the point. And then he is going to begin. Now, I'm talking like none of you have any experience. You're, you, some of you are probably way farther down the path than I am. But he's going to start to show us more and more of what needs to die. And as we recognize it, I would say you would, be, you would do well to confess to him that you've seen it, that you understand it, and that you're committed to it. So that his purposes, what is that? Seeking to save that which was lost destroy the works of the devil, reconciling man to God and man to one another through God can be accomplished in Jesus' body, us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to know you. Thank you that, that once we confess Jesus, you give us the right to call you Father and you call us sons and daughters. Thank you so much for Holy Spirit to help us. Thank you for Your Word. Thank you for brothers and sisters that help us to to be corrected and 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 to be loved and and to sell ourselves on behalf of You, Jesus. Thank you. We pray today, special today, that all the moms will be blessed. No moms have to do work today, except for Heather because she has a conference. But next Sunday, Heather gets off for sure. Everybody, Lord, just blessed in you the peace uh, Jeff shared scriptures with me your yoke is easy and your burden is light or your burden is easy and your yoke is light Lord thank you for an easy burden and a light yoke that if we walk in that yoke that we can have the peace that you very bring yourself we love you we thank you ask a blessing on everyone in Jesus name amen